0: You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fair Game Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest is a young fair manager who has quickly gained respect throughout our industry. His fair has all the feelings of a small rural county fair, yet still attracts, on average, an impressive 300,000 people during their nine day run every September. He is the fair manager of the Clay County Fair in Spencer, Iowa. Jeremy Parsons, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's good to be with you today, Robert.
0: So did I get all that right on the numbers? I was checking your website <laughs> yeah. and it looks like you kind of run yeah. between about 295, 305.
1: Yeah, and and really what's fascinating about that number is the fact that uh, a, a, a fair of 300,000 over nine days in September, it's a 250-acre it's a fairground, uh, year-round event facilities, but we're in a town of 10,000 people in a county of 17,000 people. Wow. Uh, so uh, that that is really makes it unique. The, the largest urban area, if you wanna call it that, uh, and by urban, I mean uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, You know, 100,000 people, that's, that's 80 miles away. Um, so uh, we are uniquely in the middle of nowhere, but yet a, a big fair in a really rural community.
0: That's really wild to me because I have an idea of what a community that size looks like because I went to school. I went to college at Eastern New Mexico University in Portales, New Mexico. They're over not far from Lubbock on the New Mexico side of the state line. And when you pull into town, there's a billboard that says, you know, welcome to Portales, home of at least back then. I don't know what the population is now, but back then it said home of 12,000 nice people and two or three old grouches. (laughs) So I get what a small community looks like. Well, a small community like that, I cannot imagine at the Roosevelt County Fair 30,0 people showing up. So you guys are definitely in a unique situation. How many of those folks are coming all the way from Sioux Falls? Uh,
1: you know, our our attendance draw is definitely a hundred miles. Uh that is our our radius, you know, it it's it's the fact that when you come to the Clay County Fair, it, it's a day trip for you. You know, you're, you're probably driving hour two hours to come to the fair, spend the day and, and go back home. And, of course, situated here in northwest Iowa, some of the most productive farmland as far as corn and soybeans in the world. Uh, we're also unique. You know, of that 300,000 people, uh, our, our guest surveys tell us that approximately 50 percent of them are still directly involved in agriculture. Wow. So we are still uh, still kind of really one of the few fairs left that's set up the way fairs used to be where farmers uh, and ag people come together to to celebrate. That's that's us here at the Clay County Fair.
0: So I'm guessing like your 4-H programs and FFA just huge up there at your fair.
1: About 800 4-H kids show here at the Clay County Fair. They come from 40 counties in four states. That's Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota and Minnesota. So uh, huge youth programs. Uh, also the largest farm machinery show at any fair in the United States, uh, about 30 acres of the fair is dedicated to outdoor machinery exhibits. So, so you're talking combines and tractors yeah. and things like that. John Deere case, new Holland, those companies still have exhibit buildings here at the fair. And, uh, the new lines of tractors are usually unveiled here at the clay County fair or the farm progress show. Uh, so it's, um, definitely christmas for farmers when they come and shop at the clay county fair
0: that's that's pretty wild i mean you're talking (laughs) about i mean obviously you're a small community but you've got you have a huge draw so um let's just say you have a new family that calls you up and says hey we're new to the area we wanted to come out to the fair um what right what do you recommend they're going to spend the day at the fair like you say it's a day trip if they're driving in what is a, a recommended day look like to you
1: You know, uh, get here early. Uh, We're a typical Midwest fair in that case that, you know, our exhibit buildings and the grounds all open at 7 a.m. Buildings open at 9 a.m. So uh, you can spend all day here. Uh, We want the families to really first check out the depot. Uh, We have the Smoky Mountain Railroad here on the fairgrounds. It's one of the largest model train displays in the Midwest. And so we really want you to come and enjoy the railroad. We want you to go to Grandpa's Barn, which is our interactive uh, ag experience and we want you to walk through the corn and soybean plots that are outside of that building and really see how agriculture works. Uh, we'll want you to uh, pet the animals in, in grandpa's barn and, and we'll want you to sit down in one of the combine combine simulators and try your hand at uh, harvesting. So uh, a lot of interactive things. Uh, we Of course, we want you to enjoy the food. Uh, we just want you to enjoy uh, the 4-H FFA competitions uh free entertainment all over our grounds and and we just really pride ourselves on being a great place for families to spend spend a day in september
0: the combine simulator those are pretty cool the last time we were back up at the nebraska state fair probably i'm gonna say four years ago our son nate was messing around in one of them i think he was just disappointed it didn't fly (laughs) too but yeah. he, it was really cool. I mean, and then we got to, do you guys do like combine rides or anything like that? I know Nebraska's done those.
1: Yeah, we do not. Uh, we just have the simulator, but yeah. you know, even, even here, we understand there's that disconnect where your food comes from,
0: oh, you know, yeah.
1: that, uh, and, and even though we're in rural Iowa, it, it is amazing. Uh, the people that really have no idea, you know, they think milk comes from the grocery store. So ag education is, is key for us. Uh, we just also kind of have this component of, uh, besides ag education, uh, a healthy component of people who still are in agriculture. So it really makes for a unique balance.
0: Yeah. My, my wife is, um, was formerly a school teacher. She's now a school administrator, but she'll tell you there were plenty of times that, you know, she would be doing a, a unit on something and when elementary school and she'd say, you know, and where does baking come from? And they'd, and they'd say uh, the grocery store. And then so, well, no, 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 but what what animal does bacon come from? And they'd look at her like she had three heads. What do you mean animal? You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's sad, really, in some ways that that disconnect is there. So uh, as, you know, really, I think every fair tries to do, we're, we're trying to bridge that gap through things like uh, Grandpa's Barn and our field trip program for school kids and, and anything we can do to help, uh, you know, help close that knowledge gap.
0: Speaking of food for that family that you were, you know, the hypothetical family coming out to the fair, is there a food, you know, a lot of fairs have that one thing that you have to try. Is there something at the Clay County Fair that is the must try food?
1: You know, I I think the Nutty Bar is probably uh, pretty uh, famous for the Clay County Fair. That's just an ice cream uh, dipped in chocolate, rolled in peanuts uh, one of our local nonprofits uh, coordinates the the nutty bar operations here at the fair. Actually, the Spencer YMCA runs that, and so uh, everybody's got to have a nutty bar when they're here at the fair. But uh, w- we just have a lot of food, a lot of stuff we eat on on a stick. But also, um, seven sit down restaurants here on the fairgrounds as well operate. So your commodity organizations like the cattlemen and the pork producers, uh, but also the Kiwanis are famous for their pancakes. Uh, and so uh, you can you can sit down and enjoy a meal, or you can grab something to go.
0: Now, are these sit-down spots? Are these are, are you just they just sitting at picnic tail, or is this like full-service restaurants where they're being served during that
1: time? It, it it some are that way. Yep, some are that way. There are a couple smaller uh, restaurants here on the grounds that are basically a full service restaurant. You'll come in and sit down, and somebody will serve you. So, wow. uh, always a, an interesting balance here. Some of those are are run by nonprofits, as I said, or there are longtime family operations that are out here during the nine days of the fair.
0: So this is not an industry that any of us, I don't think, get into. Me being an entertainer, you being a fair manager with the goal of making millions and building out a massive 401k. This is, this is an industry that is driven by love of the industry, a passion for what we do. What's the, what is for you, that thing that happens during the course of your nine days that drives your passion? What's the thing that you look at, you see that makes all your hard work during the year worth it.
1: I really think it's as simple as providing a place for families to create memories. Um, you know, in our world today, uh, the world desperately needs places for families to spend time together. And, and I, I think the cool thing about a fair is mom and dad and all the kids can can come to the fair and every fair is this way. But there's going to be something there that intrigues or interests each of them. So they're individually going to get to enjoy something that day. But yet they're also going to enjoy it collectively. And, and really, for me, it's seeing those families Walking around the grounds, knowing that they're going to make memories, uh, they they've checked their problems at the gate, and and they're just there to enjoy the day and make memories that they're going to think about for the next day, the next year, the next ten years, the next fifty years. And when you really think about that, that that's that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, I, I'm kind of one of those probably weird fair managers. I like to know what people do at the fair, so I'll I'll randomly you know pick out some family. I'll be like, I'm just going to follow them for 20 minutes at a distance, <laughs> not as a weird stalker. But, you know, I, I do. I want to know where they go. I want to know their traffic patterns. I want to know, you know, what's going on. And uh, and and that's really the enjoyable part of, of being a fare manager.
0: That's actually probably a really smart tactic because for all the data that we can try and crunch digitally, you know, you can get people to fill information out and forms out. You can follow up on Instagram on your hashtag and see what's popular that people are taking pictures of. But to just get out and walk the grounds and walk the grounds with a perspective of, what if I was a young family? What does this fair look like to me? What if I was in a wheelchair or a motor scooter? Can I get around this fair? That is really hard data right there that you can use year over year to make improvements to your fair as a fair manager.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's important. You got you gotta know what they're doing, what they're understanding. And and we encourage our board members to do the same. You know, pick out that family because I, I think we all come to the fair and there's certain things we do. You know, some fairs or some families you come to the fair and, and maybe they're livestock exhibitors, they don't leave that barn area. Uh, you know, we have some people that they really they tell us they just come for the free entertainment. So they don't go in the barns, you know, or they they come to eat or they come for a grain stain concert or and so we sometimes get tracked in what we do at a fair and we're shocked to see, oh my gosh, they spent a whole day at the fair and loved it and did nothing I would have done. Yeah, You know, that, that, that's the part you have to always think about. Yeah,
0: every, everybody's got something different they come to the fair for. And we we figure that out with our, you know, with our Play With Giants, our game exhibit, because we, we talk to people, we don't just stand back. We engage with people, make sure they're having fun. We, inevitably, the most common question you get is, hey, where's the closest bathroom? It's no different at a fair than it is when you're at Disney World. Where's the closest right. bathroom? But we talk to folks, and the number of people that we talk to that say things like, you know, we've come to this fair for years. year. Like at the New Mexico State Fair, for example, I was asking folks several years ago when Ridehoffer Shows took over the contract there, what do you think of the new Midway? And I don't know. I've never been to the Midway at this fair. I, I go to the barns, and I like watching the sea lions, and we're checking you guys out, and the pony rides, and the food. I don't ever go on the Midway everybody's got their own thing. Mm -hmm. They've Mm -hmm. all got their own thing. Speaking of, what about you? How did you come (laughs) to be a fair manager? Did you always want to be working with fairs growing up or was that kind of a a surprise thing?
1: Honestly, I'm probably one of the few in the business that knew as a little kid that I wanted to be a fair manager Wow. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting story. I, uh, I'm i the son of a county fair board president. So my earliest memories are, you know, painting fences and cleaning bathrooms and, you know, forced family fun, as my dad called it. So uh, the Decatur County Fair in Leon, Iowa, a really small county fair. Um, but so I, I, I knew fairs from that perspective. And as an elementary school project, I actually um, had to pick a career. And I thought, well, Somebody has to be like in charge of the Iowa State Fair. That was a, a highlight of our summer. And so uh, a letter was sent, you know, as, as part of the school project and the the manager at the uh, Iowa State Fair at the time was Marion Lucas, who uh, well respected in our industry and and served many years at at the Missouri State Fair and the Iowa State Fair. and uh, so that began kind of a friendship with him, and uh, he invited me the next fair to come see what he did, you know, how for a few hours and whatever. and And, you know, lo and behold, then I'm 17 years old and he, I go to work at the Iowa State Fair in their free entertainment office during the summer as a 17 year old, uh, did that all through high school, uh, college, um, needed a career where I could still work at the fair. So I taught school for a while. I went to school and was a high school English teacher, uh, still worked summers at the Iowa State Fair, uh, went to the Missouri State Fair for a while at summers and then um, uh, full-time at the Missouri State Fair as director of their fair foundation, uh, raising funds to to restore the fairgrounds there. And then now here at Clay County for 10 years. So uh, you know, I'm 43, but this will be my 27th year on staff at a fair because literally I started when I was 17. So um, it, it's been a, it's been a great uh, ride so far. Definitely. That's,
0: Definitely a very long history for someone that is so young, and I understand. I call you young at forty three. I am forty one, and um, <clears throat> with respect to YPI that apparently cuts off youth and young right. <laughs> at forty, uh, it was it was kind of sad watching the uh, the virtual vision stuff. We weren't able to to do it this year, but we were seeing people post pictures of like the YPI group, and I'm looking. I'm like, all these people are my friends, but I guess I'm just. Not a lot
1: yeah. anymore. Yeah. am Too that, old. That's that's a hard fast deal. You know, turn forty, you're old, definitely. Just but, wait uh,
0: until these twenty five year olds. The one thing I wish I could impart on them is how young they will still feel when they get to forty.
1: Yeah. And YPI's mm-hmm.
0: cutoff should be like sixty. Yes. Yeah. Seventy. Because I and do you feel that way at forty three? That because I remember when I was a kid, when my parents were in their forties, I was like, my God, they're old. And now I'm 43 and I feel like I haven't even started yeah. in life yet.
1: Yeah, I know. I agree hundred percent. It's, it's definitely, uh, definitely internal, you know, how, how you feel, but, uh, yeah. And, you know, you talked about YPI and what a great organization, you know, within the IFB and they are. Uh, I had the opportunity to be part of that when I could, you know, that was when I was younger, 10 years ago, type of a thing, but, uh, uh, you know, a great way to really foster the next generation of leadership in our industry. And, and you know, myself and people like Jessica Underberg, uh, you know, Scott Stoller, some of us that are kind of, we're in this kind of age group, we're, we're kind of the products of that, you know, kind of yep. the first generation of fair managers to have gone through YPI. So uh, definitely.
0: Well, and having spoken to two of the three of those names, you, you know, yourself and Jessica, I haven't, haven't had a chance to speak with Scott. Um, but having spoken to the both of you and seen what you guys have done at your prospective fairs, not only at your fairs but within the industry as a whole, I, I think YPI is a fantastic organization. It's clearly producing great results for our industry, which is I mean that's good for communities all across the nation, because you think, I mean, Jessica's up there at Erie County, Erie County is a pretty big fair. Mm-hmm. You're in a very small county, but still produce a big fair. And you think about the diverse populations between New York, and between Iowa or Texas and Oregon or California and Florida. There's such a diversity of population, and I think these um, these young whippersnappers going through YPI <laughs> and coming up and producing great results for their communities only makes their communities stronger.
1: Oh, definitely, and it and it makes the whole industry stronger. And and I think um, you know that that's been really. Probably the best thing out of YPI is it really is developing that next generation of leaders. you know, it's not just a social thing you do when you're young, you know it really is developing the next uh, net, the next uh, generation of leadership for the IFE and fairs in general. and so, Uh, it's, it, it definitely does its part, but yeah, you do get kind of unceremoniously booted out, you know, you're over 40. So (laughs) I,
0: I never, I I think Miranda was the one who kind of recruited me to YPI, but I was like 37 when that happened or 38. So right. As I was like starting to attend some of these events at conventions, it was like, oh, never mind. I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the old guy now.
1: And you're right, the whippersnappers when you're at the end of that when you're 38 and you know you see these guys just out of college you're like wow, you know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and that's
0: I don't I don't have a lot of regrets in life, but the one thing that I am sad about is that I didn't discover this industry when I was 20. Yeah, sure. I I started bridging into it when I was my first fair that I informally did was new mexico and that or maybe it was nevada and it was like 2004 but i didn't even get involved in in iefe and start doing conventions and whatnot until 2009 at which point i was uh 30. Mm -hmm. and i would have been nice if i'd had 10 10 more years because this is just a fantastic group um to have and it's not because of anything other than I like the people I work with so much that it would have been fantastic to have had 10 more years with
1: them. Sure. Sure. You know? Well, you, you, you talked about it earlier. know, it's not, it's not a career for the money type of a thing, you know? Right. And, and, and these are, you know, a lot of these fairs, especially the smaller ones, it, it's, it's all volunteer driven. Uh, it, it's all about It's all about passion and heart and and doing something for your community and providing a showcase, a platform for people to showcase their best. Uh, So, you know, at its core, it's positive and it's energetic. And to make that happen, the people have to be positive and energetic. And uh, that's definitely the fair family for sure.
0: Yeah. You know, I like to think that if I was really only in life for the money, there's 500 other careers that I could have picked before this one. But I'm driven to entertain. I'm driven for that moment when I go to a fair as that silly fortune machine that I do. And I hand someone a fortune card, and as they walk away, I catch out of the corner of my eye that they stop dead in their tracks because whatever was written on it resonated with them. Mm -hmm. For that three seconds, it made a difference in their day, which to me is, that's all part of the equation because I'm this. I I'd love to be like the coolest act in the fair industry. I understand that I'm this just minute little almost insignificant fly in the industry. It just doesn't matter. But I'm just enough that for that three seconds at a fair like yours or the New Mexico State Fair or wherever I go, their experience at your fair just got better. That's most, what I live for.
1: Oh yeah, most definitely. And and your three seconds adds on to a three second snippet at a livestock show or a three second snippet in the carnival or a three second snippet and then that adds up as i said earlier to that full day of memories that yeah. that are all positive uh and that might help that family get through some rough times you know coming ahead or maybe pre- previous to their visit to the fair and that you know that's that's really what it's about
0: you mentioned rough times so i'm going to take that as a sweat segue into uh 2020 you know the whole reason for doing this podcast was to make sure we're sharing our our story. I wanted to tell the stories for people around this industry, from fair managers to marketers to entertainers, concessionaires. Everybody's got a unique look at what's gone on this year, and looking back at at 2020, somewhere in March, um, you know your fair's later in the year, but still by then, early March, you're planning. You're in full swing planning, getting things ready for September. And then dominoes start to fall houston livestock show goes you know south by southwest canceled and all of a sudden when you start seeing these major events canceling you start to realize this might be a big deal at what point do you think you realized this was going to have a real wide impact on our industry
1: well i i think houston being shut down in the middle of their run uh you know if, if one of the largest events in the world arguably uh and and being forced to shut in the middle of their run really i think opened people's eyes to that this could really happen um you know i i think we yeah you know, for many of us in the fair industry our only previous experience with cancellations what is world war ii well none of us were around for that so you know since world war ii really never has has local authorities not allowed the fare to fare to happen essentially right. you know and, and so that just I think more than anything opened my eyes to oh this 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 could happen if it could happen to Houston while Houston's in the middle of their run it sure could happen you know happen to anybody so I think early on um, I know that began a lot of phone calls to a lot of colleagues uh, as we began to think about really what might be happening and then it then it just became a game of of watching. Um, uh, you know as as fairs made their decisions and uh, and then realizing that potentially we would be up next for sure
0: yeah and your fair runs in september so you talk about up next you know when this thing started falling all these dominoes start falling in march and april i i the other fairs that were later in the year that i've spoken to you all had this hope that you know maybe by june yeah. this is done and july maybe and we still got room Um, was there hope early on in your case that maybe it does clear up over the summer and you guys can still have your fare?
1: Yeah, you know, most definitely, I think for us, mainly because of, as we kind of discussed earlier, our location, rural Northwest Iowa, uh, Iowa early on in the pandemic did not, I I shouldn't say early on, everybody kind of shut down equally for the most part across the country early on, but Iowa came back on board early, you know, by mid-May here in Iowa, restaurants were reopened again and and uh, we were already beginning to, you know, our summer events were still going to occur, livestock shows and different non-fair activities. So, you know, we, we were kind of coming back. And, and obviously, we, uh, we're a small fair with two big brothers. And, and those two big brothers influence a lot of what we do. And that's the Iowa State Fair and the Minnesota State Fair. Uh, if you look at a map, Spencer is about three hours from each way. Uh, we have a lot and is the Midwest are, are people that love fairs. So a ton of people that attend Iowa and Minnesota come to our fair, our commercial exhibitors all routes because we open the Saturday after Minnesota closes on Labor Day. So you know we we pay attention to our big brothers and and that decision by Minnesota right before Memorial Day uh, made us realize, okay, now it's getting a little closer to home, but yet, that's still a much bigger fair in a much bigger city. And so we then really began some deep investigation at that point, I guess for lack of better words. And, and
0: at some point in there, you know, you talk about, you, you said at what point are we up next? And at some point you guys were up next uh, as far as having to have that, make that decision. Um, right. So can you give us an idea of, of what it's like to be in that meeting with your board and have to make that decision?
1: Yeah. So we had a, uh, we had had what we called a series of go forward meetings is what we called them at the end of June. And basically those go forward meetings were if we have a fair, here's what it's going to look like. And so we pages, I think it ended up being about a 20 page document of here's what the 2020 fair would look like with the current restrictions in place and, and different things like that. Because we we did have a window to have a fair. and And ultimately what happened over the course of those go forward meetings is we realized, number one, financially, uh, it, it was going to be difficult to make a fair work. We were going to lose more money by trying to have a fair than we would by shutting it down. Secondly, we realized our passionate fairgoers who drive 90 miles to come to the fair, when they walked on our grounds, would not have recognized the fair. It, it was not going to be the world's greatest county fair experience that we promote. So if it doesn't make money, and it dilutes your brand, you have to say to yourself, why are we even thinking about doing this? And so uh, ultimately then we made our decision the Friday before the 4th of July. So what was that? July 2nd or something like that. And ultimately it really came down to those pieces plus the realization we couldn't figure out a way really to keep our 1000 volunteers and staff safe for nine days. You know um and so all those things packaged together but even with that head knowledge it affects your heart oh yeah um and uh there were tears when our board chair read the vote uh which was overwhelmingly in favor of not having a fair there were tears when i announced it uh to our staff and and our larger board of directors we kind of have a unique structure almost with two boards but to our larger board um, there were tears, uh, you know, throughout that day uh, with staff, and when we did a, a press conference that afternoon. And you know, again, you think you're ready, uh, you you know it's the right decision to do. You you ultimately know you are not having a fair to ensure the viability of your organization to do one in the future. Yep. But yeah, it's still hard. I mean, it 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 it's still uh, still a day I hope to never ever repeat (laughs)
0: yeah and i've i've never sat in on one of those meetings but i've been on the receiving end of the emails from you guys uh you know from fair managers to say you know one of my cancellations was australia Mm -hmm. and when houston canceled on march 11th sarah and i we were scheduled to go to the sydney royal easter show which was we were so thrilled an international experience for the fortune this goofy fortune machine that my dad and i built (laughs) in his garage is going international it was a massive thing for us But as this thing got rolling early in March, we start watching and we're like, we're looking at Sydney we're looking at cases around Australia and we're like, do you think they'll be able to pull it off? And I'm like, that's a massive show. They're not, they can't cancel that thing. But then March 11th, Houston cancels. And I'm like, if one of the biggest shows in the Northern hemisphere can cancel, Mm -hmm. then the biggest show in the Southern (laughs) hemisphere absolutely can cancel. Right. And Sarah and I were on the, I remember on March 12th, we were having a conversation and our concern, we really wanted to go, but our concern was shifting from, okay, we really want to go to what happens if we're in route and we're two hours outside of Sydney over the Pacific ocean and Australia shuts down. What if all of a sudden we get quarantined and we get stuck there? Like, do I have to then pay for a hotel for 14 days in Sydney only to get on a plane and fly home and then have to pay for a hotel for 14 days in LA? Like These questions start to go through our heads where it's like, do we need to be the ones to pull the plug? And then on March 13th, we get the email from Lanelle and she took that that option away from us. You know, it's interesting, you talk about your guests would not have recognized the fair. The similar thoughts, and obviously you being fair managers, you all, you're all in kind of that same boat of how do we produce a great event for our communities. But Linnell shared the same thing when I spoke to her earlier in the season, which was for their 2021 show. And, and I suppose their government could change this. They were capping them. I think she said at 50,000 people a day, well, that for a lot of fairs, for a 12 day fair, I think you'd take 50,000 people sure. a day. No problem. Right, right. But they usually get somewhere around just south of a million, like 980 is what they're typically mm-hmm. at. So on a 12 day run, you're talking about a 35 percent attendance reduction already, mm-hmm. and her thing is she exactly said what you said. How do you protect your brand? How do you not put out an event that people get turned off, and then when things finally reopen, you only get 500 thousand because you annoyed so many people, you know? And 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 to your point of how do you protect the viability of a fair moving forward? Um, I was scheduled to be in Jacksonville, and I got the call from Bill, and he said, you know, we ran the numbers optimistically looking at a, at only a 50 percent reduction in attendance and i forget the number that he said but the loss like you said it, it's better to just cancel sure
1: you yeah know? So, yeah we i mean just in true transparency we ran the numbers uh you know based on what we thought attendance would be and, and we actually surveyed our guests uh we were i think one of the i don't know if many fairs did that but we sent a survey out to everybody in our database anybody that had purchased tickets in the last year, and said, would you come to the fair in 2020, knowing most of them had come in 2019? And, and our, our the response to that for sure was only about 40%. Well, it, you know, and when that number came out in rural Northwest Iowa, then I really knew we were in trouble. Um, but you know, you run the numbers on 40%. And we having a fair, having a fair at 40% would have cost us 150,000 more dollars and not having. I mean, and, you know, it becomes an easy business decision at that point.
0: Yeah. Cause that's, then it's just numbers. Cause your board's looking at it going, we can either lose that 150, or we can take what we would have spent on it and just push it over to next year. Cause who knows if next year, you know, we, we get to do it. I mean, you're, you're talking about being able short-term and long-term, just saving your events and saving, you know, what you have built over, you know, a hundred plus years there in at Clay County. You know, for fairs that were March and April, right when all this canceled. You know, you look at Miami, they were thirty minutes from opening the doors and they got shut down. Same with Vero Beach, they an hour, I think, before. Those kind of fairs had already spent so much their marketing dollars, their Facebook ads, their TV promo, all that stuff was spent. They don't get that money back. Your fair, you guys said you canceled it in July. Your fair September. When do you, you know? When do you usually start your marketing? And was that something you guys were able to pull back on and save that that money?
1: Yep, absolutely. You no know, part of why we why we did those go forward meetings in June was to really vet the full situation. But we also knew that once we hit mid July for us, uh, mid July to early August was the point of no return. Meaning you were going to outlay money that you would not get back specifically marketing, you know, um, you could order ribbons because you're going to just reuse them next year. We didn't put dates on anything. So that's
0: very smart to not put dates on those ribbons, by the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, that was one of the first things we did. So, you know, so some of those things, but at, you know, and, and really for fairs, you, you hit that two month, you know, that for us mid July, that's when the staffing needed to ramp up. Cause if we were really going to do the fair, we had to hire all the extra staffing we need to get the grounds ready. So for us, that's why the part of also why the decision was made when it was was financially. That was before we had really started the, the bulk of our marketing, uh, especially the expense, you know, the expense side of marketing and, and the expense side of just setting up for the fair. So uh, that that's really the, the reason for us for that time frame.
0: Right. Now, you said earlier, your grounds in Iowa that you're a year round facility. Yep um so you typically generate revenue from other events is it are they events you put on or is it like independent producers coming in and do like boat shows and things like that
1: Co- combination uh, about 25 percent of our annual budget is non-fair revenue uh so we we host about 200 events here on the fairgrounds uh, throughout the year uh ourselves we in-house produce um family fests which is a one day fest a children's festival in the spring we do a craft beer and bacon festival in our event center arena in April.
0: I'm uh, going to clear my schedule for April. I know where yeah. I'm going.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, craft beer and bacon festival in April. And then we uh, produce a series of summer auto races. Oh, cool. uh, so we, uh, we, we, we promote those ourselves. So yeah, we're, we're kind of a mix. We have the fair plus we have some non-fair events as well. So.
0: Got it. So your decision to cancel hits, um, I'm guessing all these other events and things, all your revenue from that has gone away as well. Right? <clears throat> have you been able to host any events on your fairgrounds, or have you had to, um, you know, adjust your business model to make revenue other ways?
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's good. You you mentioned that. It's so here in Iowa, we've kind of been on this roller coaster. As I mentioned in in March when it first hits, like the whole world, you know, everything shuts down. Uh, but by mid May, Iowa was starting to reopen. So really, for us, the months of June, July. Uh, August, September, what should have been the fair, October, were were okay for us. I would say our non-fair business was probably at about 50% of normal. Um, because here in Iowa, you could, as long as you could keep tables six feet apart, you could have a wedding reception. Um, we had livestock shows, you know, we, so we were kind of, you know, we were kind of back in in business a little bit. We hosted what we called unfair events, uh, like most other fairs, we did the food events, uh, different things like that, fair in a box, you know, we, we did different uh, things like that. But then here in Iowa, the governor has kind of shut things back down again as cases have have gone up. So now we're back down to no more than events of 10. Um, really for us has, has really been a roller coaster I don't like. I know some of my colleagues on the coast, uh, it's never easy to to let staff go. And I don't want to make that an easy decision. Um, you know, she's one of my close friends, Jess Underberg, I I mean, has been through all sorts of stuff, but yet she was able to lay the staff off and keep them off. Our problem was we were open just enough. Mm. So we've laid staff off, we brought them back, we've laid them back off, uh, you know, or, or because we were open just a little bit, we still needed staff on payroll. So, you know we weren't able to to really shut down, I think, as some of our colleagues have done. And so while I'm thankful for the business, it uh, it, it we're we're just treading water. Right. you know I mean, you're 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 just treading water, and that's unfortunately where we are.
0: And that kind of makes you hemorrhage, like you said, you're hemorrhaging money even more then because instead yeah. of like we're eerie and talking to Jessica where they could just say, listen, we know this is terrible, this is heartbreaking, and they're done. It's over. You guys are in a position where you're like, this is heartbreaking, and it's done. And then you call them up next week and say, well, maybe we're not done. And yeah, and, you know, and now, and now we're done again. Yeah, and now we're done again. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like it's going to be a real back and forth um, issue there in Iowa. I was mm-hmm. going to ask. I mean, you guys are really you're rural. You're a farming community. Yep. What do you? What's your vibe on the? Uh, your feeling for the economic picture for uh, for Iowa moving forward?
1: You know, I, I think the economic issue uh, is is going to be key. Obviously, the the ag economy always kind of works counter to what the rest of the economy is doing. You know, for example, uh, when the rest of the world was going through the Great Recession, uh, you know, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, some commodity prices were at record highs, so it was some of the best years ever. And and actually, the last couple years as farm prices have been depressed economically, it's, it's not been as great here. So it it always kind of runs opposite a little bit with the ag economy, but um, you know, we, we do still see consumer spending Uh, unemployment in Iowa is still really low. Uh, And so, you know, things are still, still proceeding. Now, what does that mean as far as discretionary income at a fair in September? uh next year that's that's something to that's where my fear is you know they always talk about how us in the midwest lag behind (laughs) uh you know our time economically probably is coming
0: yeah and you mentioned you know discretionary spending for next year that's one of the things that all of us like you know we talked about this isn't a multi you know million dollar proposition for most of us this is for people that come to our events this is a definitely a discretionary spending event for families making those dollar decisions, how do you go about planning for 2021 while you're still on this roller coaster of a lockdown in 2020?
1: Interesting, you say that we've we've had numerous uh, staff discussions actually since we completed the IFE virtual vision <laughs> earlier this week. But uh, we feel pretty strong, you know. As as I mentioned kind of earlier, we could have gone forward in 2020. Obviously, we would not have made money uh people wouldn't have liked it and it would have been a health risk but we we're not in a state where it we would have been allowed to open and go forward i guess is what i'm saying and and i think that will be the case in 2021 so we are planning for a 2021 fair but to your point that is now the bigger question um all of us in the fair industry attempted, or at least we did to roll everything forward. And I'm sure you probably saw that with some of your fairs. If you were contracted in 20, we want you here in 21. So that was for us was commercial vendors, uh, entertainers, grandstand entertainers. And that's, that's awesome. We rolled everything forward, but will our 21 fair, for lack of better words, be too big. Hmm. If my crowd is down, but I've rolled everything forward. I I'm not going to make money in 21 either. And it's probably going to be 22 before I can really resize. If I have to resize, you know, I think there's two thoughts out there. We're going to come back bigger and better than ever, or there's going to be a certain percentage that aren't going to feel comfortable ever again, coming to large events and, and we're contracting, you know, so for us, how are we personally doing that? You know, we're looking at 85% of revenue is what we're budgeting next year's fare on. So whatever our five-year average was, uh, so rough numbers, 300,000 people, 85% of that's 255. But the problem is I rolled everything forward. So my programming is still based on 2020. Yeah, it's still based on 300,000, but I may only have 255 to pay the bills. That to me is becoming almost more concerning than the decision to not have a fair in 2020 because we're going to go forward in 21 regardless uh but now it's about how do we get to 22 because between 21 and 22 i can solve the scale problem right. but i i can't for 21.
0: it's a tricky thing i the the numbers that you guys when i've been talking with you over the season that you're talking about and the formulas, i th- think to me it all comes down to you know you plan somewhat conservatively but the question is did you plan conservatively enough right because 21 is not uh, not for any fair not for you guys no. not for the state fair of texas not for the you know podunk county fair in wherever none of you guys are having a full you know s- scale event like we did in 2019.
1: No, no, no. So that's that's still the piece that I I don't think uh, you know you know budgets, cash flow projections. You know those are like daily updates here, and I know they are at most fairs. Right. Uh, you know it 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 changes, but uh, but at the same time we have we have to do something for the community. Uh, we we have to put on a fair in 21. So that that's not the option. I my fear is, you know rolling everything forward is, is still the right decision, but I don't know in hindsight, if it will be right. Well, and is
0: there a way I think about, you know, I follow baseball and it's all free agent frenzy right now. Everybody's talking about Trevor Bauer and where he's going to go. And I think about how baseball contracts are, are kind of structured where, you know, maybe that first year, they don't pay quite as much and then they get more in subsequent years or something like that. Is there a way even, and I don't know if entertainers would be willing to do this, that you could call entertainers and say, Hey, we'd like to lock you down for two years. And could we pay you at 85% this year and roll that balance? So, you know what I mean? And restructure some way.
1: Yeah. And and I think that's something, you know, it, you know, you talked about the entertainers, you know, fares are, you know, ultimately these, these, uh, layers of, partnerships with entertainers and vendors and you know that that all kind of stack up and so um you obviously you got to treat your partners well so is there something that could happen that you could work some of that out and again you know i i'm i'm thankful we rolled everything forward but you know those are just the things in the back back of your mind you know you think um you know what will the for lack of better words we're, you know if if i'm at 85% attendance and I rolled all my food vendors forward, I have too many food vendors. And so they're going to suffer, right? They're obviously not going to make as much money, you know, and those are just the types of things that I think 21 is going, I think 20, 2020 was the year of no fair. I think 2021 is the year of transitional fair, you know, of a good way to put it. What is the new norm? And hopefully by 22, we're, we're back completely to normal, you know, where we were in night, but, Twenty one, I think is you know I think any fair anybody who thinks oh well the fair industry they survived twenty twenty they didn't have any fairs well I'm not so sure twenty twenty one won't be more challenging just from that perspective.
0: No, I think that's a really good point. And the transitional fair, I like the way you put that. It's I was in the back of my mind I was thinking it's a placeholder Mm fair. Just it's because some of these fairs that especially the smaller county fairs that I've talked to that you know in ten days get. 60,000 or 80,000 over 10 days. They're great. They're big for their communities, but they had to cancel in 20. And off the record, what I'm hearing from several people that I've spoken to is if they don't have a a 21 fair, they may be done completely. And we're, we're, you know, I've said it before. I hate the idea of, of industry bailouts because I think a lot of times those bailouts come as a result of bad decision making from the industry. You know, you look at what happened with the mortgage meltdown sure. in 2008 and the banks. And, you know, I don't I don't really care that Countrywide made bad decisions or Fannie and Freddie made bad decisions, like goodbye, that's business. Mm-hmm. None of us asked for this. We were a right. viable industry. We were all cruising along doing what we need to do. So I feel like at some point, I don't know where you, you're you coming from in Iowa, but do you think the government's going to have to get involved and step in with a cash injection for our industry?
1: Well, thankfully, here in Iowa, we have received that. Uh, the governor of Iowa really showed her commitment to county fairs in Iowa and basically set aside $6 million uh, that she received, uh, that the governor received from the Federal CARES Act. Uh, and it was distributed to county fairs in Iowa. We applied for it on a grant basis on a percentage of how much you lost, you know, and I think the top end grants were 75,000, which uh, help, you know, help meet payroll and, and help with a lot of those things. Uh, at the federal level, I know the IFE has been working with OABA and, and trying to get this Agricultural Affairs Rescue Act through and, and obviously that would be helpful. I agree with you, uh, Robert, I'm unashamedly way too conservative. Uh, to to like government handouts, uh, but yet in this situation, it, it it really is out out of your hands. I mean, it it wasn't bad management. It's you actually good management prevented you from from having a fair potentially as it was in our case, but yet that still doesn't provide you with the cash to operate. You know, you know, fairgrounds are in our situations. You know, 200 acres. Uh, you know you have to pay you've got light bills you've got utility bills you've got to maintain yep. them and and when you don't have a fair you don't have the revenue to do that
0: yeah it's been very difficult you know you mentioned I, I, if ife we, we spoke to marla earlier in the season she was talking a bit about their you know lobbying efforts and advocating with the government um i think that's going to be a real key for a lot of fares early on i thought to myself My biggest concern was for small county fairs and that actually, even, you know, even though I do OC fair every year, which is one of the largest in America, (laughs) the overwhelming majority of our income for our company comes from small seven to 10 day county fairs, five day county fairs. That's the majority Mm -hmm. of what we end up doing. And I worry about them thinking the big ones will be okay. You know, OC is not going anywhere. The state fair of Texas isn't going anywhere, but then you look at Delmar and Delmar's in big trouble. There are a right. lot of fairs that are in big trouble right now. And if, if Delmar can be in trouble financially, you, you, I mean, anybody could be in big trouble. And, and yeah. how yeah. was, was that kind of broach? You, you mentioned you did the, the IFE convention. We weren't able to, we're, unfortunately, we're just at a point financially. And I think a lot of entertainers and speak and other entertainers are where it's Every dollar right now is sure. being held, held on to to make sure we can pay rent and mortgages and, pay, or, you know, vehicle payments. How was that convention? Was this kind of, was this talked about, you know, the financial situation some of these fairs are facing?
1: Yeah, you know, it, it really was. And, and and kudos to the IFE staff and and the chair, Nancy Smith, of pivoting, and I hate that word, but pivoting to the virtual vision format. Uh, because it exceeded, I know it definitely exceeded my expectations, you know, the ability to get on uh, Zoom calls with people across the country and, and discuss different topics. And they had great workshops, but yeah, the financial piece came up, and you know, and and for some fairs, as I mentioned, Delmar's a great example, a huge facility, lots of overhead, uh, you, you know, you've got staff. Um, for some of us that are still open, as I mentioned, you have to have staff, you know, you can't lay everybody off. So, you know, the overhead, you're just, you're just burning through cash. And so, and, uh, it's a long time until September for us, you know, so, uh, you know, things that we can do obviously, and and we've put a lot of things in place to, to mitigate, you know, that financial piece, but, uh, I think you're right. I think some of the larger fares, the larger, the longer this goes on, especially those that are in States that are really shut down, uh, still, uh, it it's it's gonna be a struggle for them. And then you know, a large piece of our industry, because most of us are 501c5s and sixes, uh, which is a separate thing from a 501c3, we were shut out of paycheck protection program, which also helped a lot of businesses, but did not help a lot of fairs. So um and then of course you've got all the fairs that are government agencies. And you know, if if a government if a government, local government's gonna probably do something at the fairgrounds or fix a pothole. I, you know, what they're going to do, you know. And so the fairs sometimes aren't high priorities either. So, uh, it, you know, from a lot of perspectives, it, it's, it's about making wise management decisions to get to your next event. Uh, and for me now, I'm beginning to think it's more wise management decisions to get me to the event after the event, get me to 2022, more than even 2021.
0: Got it. So your your plan moving forward is. How do you structure 21 so that there is a 22?
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the idea in 20 is let's survive 20 with no fair to get to 21, but now we got to, we're just going to bridge that gap a little yeah. longer. How do we put on a 21 event that checks all the boxes, but yet also make sure we get to 22 and that's the, um. Welcome to my head at 2 a.m.,
0: Robert. I hear you. I mean, we've even done that where I've woken up in the middle of the night and had to go write something down or jot down some notes because I'm thinking, you know, one of the questions I've had from a couple of fairs is, hey, we want to have the fortune machine or we want to have play with giants for 2021. But how can you make your event or how can you make your attraction COVID safe? Mm -hmm. And the games is not, too difficult. Most everything in it has has got plastic on it. We managed to run in September this year at, in fact, I think it was right when your fair would have been, but we ran in Abilene and that just keeping everything clean, that was fairly mm-hmm. easy as plastic. I mean, that's not a big deal, but because you can keep distancing, you can wear masks. How do you do that with the fortune machine? <laughs> and that's one yeah. of those things that <laughs> I'm going, okay, well, I guess I'm reluctantly going to have to put plexiglass in the box. And I'm going to have to vent it through the top so that I don't cook like in a sauna because you know how all of our fairs are always in nice, cool months.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's just all of a sudden I'm looking at an attraction and having to rebuild something that's been set for the better part of a decade. It's been developed. It is what it is and it's it works. And now it's like, okay, you got to change it. And that makes me not unique at all because literally every one of us, whether you're an entertainer or fair manager are asking that same question. How do we take what worked throw it out and make something that will work with COVID safe practices. And that's the challenge.
1: And, and COVID safe practices usually are not cheap or less expensive than how you've normally been operating. You know, that's, Correct. that's, that's the piece, you know, this uh, at the 21 fair, you know, we're going to have a clean team. We know, and you know, we've always had crews to pick up garbage and, and clean bathrooms, but now there's going to have to be another crew that just goes around and wipes down surfaces. You know, right. I was going to now just, you have to have double yeah. those people or if you decide, right.
0: you know what, we're going to replace all the pull handles, um, in the bathroom stalls with the, the photo sensors, the, you know, yep. the auto flood, then that's an, ex- that's all additional expense. Yep. And it just yep. piles up clearly. Um, you know, I want to transition here real quick. This pandemic yep. has crippled fares and entertained all of us in this industry. How, but what about you personally, how are you holding up? How are Kelsey and the kids holding up?
1: You know, it, it's uh thankfully again here in Iowa our kids uh we've got three boys 11 8 today one turns eight today 11 8 and 5 and and the three boys have been in school full time since August here in Iowa Mm -hmm. uh, five days a week uh you know mandatory masks but really doing well and so uh, that's been good you know it's been challenging I know um I have probably not been the the model uh father and parent uh dealing with with fair stress and that's something I definitely uh need to work on but uh you know as always in the fair industry uh we're never in this alone and and I'm fortunate to have a lot of colleagues and I probably have spent more time on the phone with you know fellow fair managers in the last year than ever uh really talking through things you know that support is really what makes the fair industry uh really special
0: yeah i agree that's been i would say almost therapeutic for me one of my <laughs> one of my stressors has been on the entertainment side that I feel like I lost my purpose. You know, not I can sure. see we're on the, the fair management side. You may not have had a fair, but you're still a fair manager. You're still actively going, okay, how do we adjust? How do we make this fair work for next year? How do we recover from this nosedive? But as an entertainer, we live on those smiles from your guests. You know, we live on the high fives and that I don't want to make it sound like it's all adoration, but that's what we live for. And all of a sudden it's gone. And for me. Connecting on with people on this podcast has kind of renewed a purpose for me. Um, sharing this story has been invaluable to me. It, you know, I feel like I've got something that's I'm producing a product for people that has some value for them. Mm-hmm. So that's, well, I, been, that's been renewing my purpose.
1: Well, that that's good, and and you've done a great job at it, uh, Robert. I've caught. I again, I listened to Jess's last night and. Uh, you know, it's it's it it is. It's about staying connected in this in this situation. And and I I totally get the therapeuticness of you know talking to to somebody and hearing as they go through uh, the situation as well. You know?
0: Yeah. And what what do you think um, before we wrap up here, what do you think's been the biggest challenge for you this year?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um I, I would almost argue or argue, I shouldn't argue with myself, I guess, but I would almost say <laughs> I do it uh, all the time, Jeremy. Yeah, it's just yeah. fine. I, I almost, in some ways it's been prioritizing things. And I know that sounds a little odd, but you know, you uh, for a while there, we were planning a fair, planning a half fair, planning to cancel a fair. And, and now, you know, we're planning, how do we get to next year? And what, what are the priorities? And, and so, and yet as all this changes, there you know, it'd be nice to be able to set back, you know, and and think through and try to figure it all out. But you're kind of making decisions on the fly, which you normally do. But this year, it just seems like all those decisions are a little heightened, you know, whether it's even for our non-fair events, you know, making sure we are ensuring the safety of our gas, you know, you, you don't want to be the COVID outbreak place, obviously. Right. You know? and, and so, you know, those priorities, yet still prioritizing the fact of, of making next year's fair great. And and really, I think for me, that's probably been the, the biggest piece is just that.
0: Yeah, so. that's it's exactly what Courtney talked about. Um, Courtney Conkle over at Wyoming State Fair. When I interviewed her, she said they were holding their breath for that, you know, 14 to 21 days or so after their event. And luckily Wyoming actually had a, a reduction in cases during that time. So, but man, I can imagine being in your shoes as a fair manager or in her shoes you know having an event and going what happens if all of a sudden we have a spike of you know 30 percent spike in cases because as i told courtney even if it's completely unrelated to the fair and not a single case came from the fair the media is not going to care they're going to throw you guys under the bus
1: it's all back to brand protection you know uh and and you know we talked about earlier doing a sort of fair for lack of better words was was going to damage our brand and and that's something else you know so it's kind of a rock and a hard place sometimes i would argue though based on the stuff i read on courtney's wyoming state fair the cases probably went down because i think they drank it out of them because her beer numbers were through the roof so <laughs> i saw that she was talking about some really astronomical numbers <laughs>
0: apparently the folks in wyoming just publicly did what all of us have been doing privately all year
1: long yeah. She might've been on something there for sure. Yeah, She might've yeah, been on to something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's the trick to increasing your, uh, your beer right. garden sales You're is right. have a, have a pandemic lock everybody up and then tell everybody, Hey, come have a beer on.
1: Right. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, listen, Jeremy, I appreciate you being on the show before we go today, everybody who comes on my show does a speed round of questions. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a handful of questions here very quickly. Give me your, your first response and, and we'll go from there ready corn dogs or a turkey leg corn dog with mustard with mustard what's your favorite concert you've ever attended
1: uh brooks and dunn one brooks. of their final shows yeah
0: all right if i open your music app right now which song would it say has played the most uh
1: probably nothing very little music listen to podcasts but probably very little music so
0: oh, excellent what's the most other than my podcast that so you just listen to Jess's? what's the what's your favorite <laughs> podcast
1: um, I, you know, I kind of bounce around, but anything leadership stuff, especially lately, I've been trying to, you know, uh, and like self-leadership almost a little bit, like keeping yourself motivated to, to lead others. Right. Yeah. So have there's you,
0: a- have you listened to Gary V along the way?
1: I have not. Um, there's actually a guy that, uh, uh, we're, we know through our, through our church, um, that Craig Groeschel does a lot of leadership stuff. So I've been listening Got to a lot on. of his stuff. So, yeah.
0: So Gary's a great one, Um, but he does curse a little bit. And then um, Jocko Willink is one that I've gotten caught on lately. He's a a former Navy SEAL. And he talks about leadership when, you you know, in those situations and, and he, now that he's retired, he and his partner, I believe that was also a SEAL at one point, do business training and business leadership development. And he said he was so nervous the first time he went in a boardroom. He's like, I've literally been shot at in war zones but I was nervous the first time I went into a boardroom until I realized that the problems that I faced as a Navy SEAL commander were the exact same problems of leader faces in a boardroom. Yeah, cool. Only we're not getting shot at now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, two more questions, okay. favorite movie? A River Runs Through It. And who was your first celebrity crush? Oh my God. Probably Brooke dun. Shields. Brooke Shields, good answer. Uh, Jeremy, I'm glad I could have you on the show today. Before we go, if folks want to get a hold of you, where can they find you?
1: Sure. Uh, Jeremy at ClayCountyFair.com. Email or call the Clay County Fair offices 712-580-3000. And make sure you're doing a
0: .com on that because if you do a .org, I believe your email might end up somewhere in
1: Florida you will catch the other Clay County Fair. And Tasha and I, all we do, it seems like, is forward emails back and forth that really were meant for the other organization. So, yeah. That's
0: funny. That's (laughs) funny. Jeremy Parsons is the fair manager for the Clay County Fair in Spencer, Iowa. Their fair runs annually in September. Jeremy, we want to wish you and Kelsey and the kids a very Merry Christmas, and we'll look forward to hopefully seeing you sometime in 2021. Sounds great. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to the fair game podcast Fair game is a production of Robert Smith presents for more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.